<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And I wanted to give you a little heads up on our next episode because it's a killer. We'll be taking a trip to Woodsboro and hoping to come out alive as we discuss the new Scream movie. And actually, the entire episode is dedicated to that franchise of horror films. And it will be a Patreon exclusive, so you'll need to subscribe if you want to listen. For the price of one coffee every month, you can help support your favorite movie podcasters and help us bring you this weekly content and you'll gain access to exclusive episodes like the forthcoming one dedicated to all things Scream. Head over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome to subscribe. This week's episode is dedicated to a Talk Movie to Me listener who has done exactly that. Our patron of the week is Marsha, our very first Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for your continued support. It really does make a difference, and you're awesome. Thanks, Marsha. Woohoo! The most beautiful sound we'd ever heard. The popcorn machine is popping. <laughs> yes, it's $2.50 to layer your butter. A ripoff, but so what? So tasty. So tasty. I'm wearing my mask for our safety. And now the movie starts. But damn, my glasses are fogging. It's Spielberg, his remake of West Side Story. And suddenly I see why Ariana DeBose is queen. <laughs> Anita, say it loud and there's ushers rushing. Say it soft and there's elderly shushing. Well, fine then. I'll just quietly crunch my popcorn. My popcorn. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if you didn't guess from that brilliant serenade, you're welcome. This week's film is West Side Story, the retelling of this classic movie musical. This time directed by Steven Spielberg. This Romeo and Juliet tale set in New York City tells the story of Maria, played by Rachel Ziegler, and Tony, played by Enzel Elgort. Two star-crossed lovers who fall for each other despite being from different cultural backgrounds in a community that is violently torn down racial lines. She's Puerto Rican, and he's white Polish, and ne'er the two shall mix. But love conquers all, or so they hope. West Side Story asks a question. Is everything free in America? Or is the price of pride and prejudice too high a price to pay? Mm. First impression, Helen. <laughs> okay. I mean, we've had a bit of a history with this movie. <laughs> mm. We. When did we start seeing trailers for West Side Story? 
at least seven years ago. It's got to be a full year. It has to be a full year of trailers for West Side Story. Every single movie that we have gone to in the last year, the first trailer you see is for West Side Story and Rachel Ziegler singing, Tonight, tonight. And we got so bloody sick of this trailer. Oh, God, I know. That we were just absolutely dreading this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it started getting rave reviews, award mm-hmm. nominations, award wins. And we realized, okay, we're going to have to cover this for the podcast. So it's been a journey before I've even set foot in the theater to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. However, I was seeing this in the theater with Edison, which was lovely. And yes. when it started, it did have an epic feel to it. And I love a musical. So mm-hmm. I was on board. Mm-hmm. I was on board. Yeah. What about you, Sinclair? Okay. I was trying to control my crankiness going mm-hmm. into this movie because, like Helen said, for just months and months on end, this was the only trailer that was being played every single movie. It didn't even matter what genre you were going to see. Yeah. West Side Story played. At the beginning, so I was already a bit sour. However, I decided I wasn't, you know, going to think of that going in. When this film actually starts and you see the jets come out, I was actually happy to see that they looked dirty in this one. Mm -hmm. And they did look a lot more blue collar, which I kind of appreciated because in the original film, like everyone looks like they just stepped out of the gap. and. You know, and it it did inspire all those Gap commercials, but basically (laughs) nobody looks rough and tumble. So when this one started, the Jets actually look like they were possibly from a lower class. It's still Mm. questionable, but costume-wise, I was like, okay, they actually do look like a bit of a street gang compared to the original. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Edison? My first impression was one of awe, honestly. The truth is that I didn't know the story of West Side Story. I'd never seen the original film. I'd never seen any adaptation of the stage production. Yes, we saw the trailer four million times. I knew it had a ton of Oscar nominations. But I, yeah, just like y'all, I wasn't super eager to see it. Even though Spielberg is probably my favorite director, and Mm -hmm. I also, like you, Helen, generally am someone who enjoys musicals. Mm -hmm. But my apprehension dissipated within about 30 seconds of this movie starting. The opening of this film is this giant choreographed dance number on the streets of New York. It introduces us to this central conflict between the white gang, the Jets, the Puerto Rican gang, the Sharks. And it just sets the stage for what's to come in this whole film. I honestly found it completely electrifying. The choreography was brilliant. How many times did I lean over to you, Helen, and be like, wow, look at that shot. Oh, my God, that's Mm -hmm. such a unique frame. Like, there was so much creativity bursting right at the very Mm -hmm. first part. I was just totally hooked. Loved it. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we just get right into the storytelling then? Mm -hmm. So the concept of West Side Story came to be by Jerome Robbins. The music was done by Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim did the lyrics. And the book was done by Arthur Lorenz. And I was looking this up because I was a bit confused. I was like, the book? I didn't know there was a book. And it turns out that in this time during musicals, there were book musicals that were written, which what I understand that to be is like the story. They would Mm. write out the story and then they would incorporate in the music. And so I... For as far as I could gather, this isn't an actual like novel, <laughs> but it's it's the story. 
Oh, interesting. Was, okay. Was done by Arthur Lorenz. So that debuted on Broadway in 1957. And then the film adaptation came out in 1961, which was directed by concept creator Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise. Mm-hmm. So that's going way, way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was very successful at the time. And I think part of why the original movie held such a place in people's heart besides obviously like the great choreography and the fantastic songs so many of which (laughs) Helen you and I were like oh my god I didn't know that was from this Mm -hmm. um (laughs) is that it very much went against the status quo of what a a movie musical was at the time yeah right prior to this it was things like singing in the rain Oklahoma meet me in St. Louis with Judy Garland Mm -hmm. gentlemen prefer blondes with Marilyn Monroe and these are all very like grand, dazzling spectacles that are very glamorous. They're uplifting stories. They have happy mm-hmm. endings. And West Side Story is just not that. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is about rival gangs in this rough neighborhood in New York. It's gritty. It's dangerous. It's a tragedy. And I think what's cool is that the film juxtaposes this like very real themes of like racism and danger and crime and rebelliousness with this sort of like fanciful dancing and choreography and beautiful dresses and stuff. And I think that's really cool. Why are you laughing, Sinclair? Oh, I, I just, I, I know. I just have such a hard time taking musicals seriously sometimes. I know. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. This, is, well... this has been the kind of a hellish week for you. <laughs> okay. Look, this is a very iconic story. And that and the movie from 1961, very iconic movie. And it was a famous play as well. So for me, this has already been so iconized Mm. that watching this didn't have any impact on me other Mm. than, oh, okay, this is a really well done remake. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Edison, if you weren't familiar with this story at all, you hadn't seen the original before this one. It's going to be a fresher experience for you. This movie stays really true for the most part to the original movie. And because that movie is just so iconic, I just didn't feel that impact because I didn't think this movie really did too many things differently. I I don't Mm. think it really surpasses the original. And I don't actually think that this remake is going to stand the test of time. This film, it's feel-good nostalgia. Mm. And that's pretty much what it was for me. It was just Mm. a well-done movie you take your grandparents to see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I Similarly to Edison, I I knew it was based off of Romeo and Juliet, but I don't think I I had ever seen the original. I'd never seen it done on stage. I knew some of the songs, but I was not fully familiar with this story. So some of the highlights and surprises for me were, like you said, Edison, the songs that I've heard a million times and I had no idea were from this musical. Mm -hmm. Um, That was really cool. And the choreography, as you said, Sinclair, is amazing. The numbers in this film Mm -hmm. are very impactful. But kind of like what you're saying, Sinclair, I left feeling like, why was that done again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was the purpose of retelling this story? What am I meant to take from it now? It wasn't hard hitting for me really at all. Mm -hmm. And I did have a couple fundamental issues with the story itself, which is not necessarily 
a critique on this film, but maybe just the general story. <laughs> on West Side Story? Yeah. yeah of co- I mean, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at, yeah, but- at the end of the day, this is West Side Story. Right. I mean, Steven Spielberg, get up all you want, but this is West Side Story at the end of the mm. day. <laughs> well, and yeah. that was the thing where it's like, yeah, there's ways that he has definitely updated the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for now, right? Because it had to be. Like, something you can't help but think about with this film is that because it's a remake of a very well-known classic, how is it being kind of modified as a story mm-hmm. to fit into today's lens, right? Because that's a very different lens than the, yeah. the of 60 years ago. So when we view it from our perspective, there's all kinds of things that kind of needed to be updated that were really problematic sure. back then, right? Specifically, obviously, in the film in 1961, all the Puerto Ricans are essentially in brown face, right? They've been covered in this makeup that's like several shades darker than their actual skin in an effort to differentiate them from the white cast, in an effort to other them. And just because like 1961 was even more openly racist than today, Mm -hmm. the audiences were largely unbothered by all of that. That's one very major problematic issue. And another is the casting, which we'll talk about later when we're talking about performances and all mm. of that. But I think that there were ways that he elevated the story in terms of a contemporary lens, like by celebrating the culture and the lives and the language of the Puerto Rican yeah. characters. Yeah. In reference to that, there is a lot of Spanish language in this film that is not subtitled. And that was very intentional as to not imply that the English language is superior, right? Or that that should be the language that the majority of the audience would understand. And it was like ingenious the way that they did that mm-hmm. because you never missed anything. I don't speak Spanish, yeah, no. but yep. I totally understood everything that was happening. They would throw in one little line of English dialogue and it was enough to kind of catch us yep. up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought it flowed pretty effortlessly. I really liked that they had the Spanish in there without the subtitles because mm-hmm. it does make you as an audience member to really look at the characters to to understand what they're saying and really focus on their facial expression and the mood of the film and their body language. And it's not having a movie like cater to us. It's making us really, really pay attention and really like feel what these characters are feeling and, and listen to the flow of the language. I actually thought it was really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And whereas in the first film, it's very clearly a story that's being told from the perspective of like white storytellers who just aren't that interested in really diving into the Puerto Rican story. Right. And I think this one does a fair job of doing that. It These does characters a are better very job. I don't think it it does a great job, but it does a better job. <laughs> You know, like of making those characters real. Like Anita was a very real. No, Anita was. Bernardo was. Anita was real in the first one, though. Anita, like Rita Moreno, was actually Puerto Rican in the first one. She's amazing (laughs) in the first film. I actually preferred her to this version. She was like the characters were real in in the first film. They just weren't the right people to play those parts necessarily. But But I don't think that they were were given any depth, really. Yeah, but like Mm -hmm. Bernardo, for example, and the sharks, broadly speaking, in the first film, there was just nothing really Mm -hmm, about. There's the, to contextualize their struggle so much. It was more about the like jets losing their hood in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the original is problematic in a lot of ways, like especially bronzing the actors. That's a huge thing. Natalie Wood, I mean, hmm. Natalie Wood didn't even sing really in the original. Yeah. My mom told me that, and I didn't even know that. She was like, yeah. you, you know, that's not even Natalie Wood singing. I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, like, that's somebody why else's were you voice. Cast? Yeah, yeah, and it was well, also. Well, she didn't know, though. Supposed- that's actually the worst thing. 
Yeah. Like she I, was I, singing to, for all of the recording. She thought mm. they everyone on set told her that she was doing amazing. And then it, yeah. they just totally had her just, dubbed with an actual yeah. singer. Can you imagine? Yeah. They were also considering Audrey Hepburn for that part, mm. too. So, yeah. I mean, well, hilariously, the, the same singer who did Natalie, who sang Natalie Wood in this, did Audrey Hepburn in My yeah. Fair Lady. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot of problems there. I mean, the first film was actually one in, of the the first films that had kind of like a big scale to acknowledge the presence of Puerto Ricans in, mm. in the U.S. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was good, but it wasn't enough. And I feel like Steven Spielberg did try to expand on the original film and right some of those wrongs. But look, I think at the end of the day, West Side Story is about visual style. It's mm. about choreography. Mm-hmm. And it's about that more than it's about its political message. I just think that's what it is at the end of the day. And I think that... This was a passion project for Steven Spielberg. But see, that's what I'm saying. I think yeah. Steven Spielberg wanted to remake West Side Story. Yeah. I think he wanted to it because it's a technical challenge. And right. it's something that he hasn't really done before. So I just think that that really outweighs any sort of political message in this right. f- film. I think that is definitely something that just needed to be amended in a way in order to do this film again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And in terms of the actual storyline here, this movie had me to an extent up until the point where Maria finds out that Tony killed her brother and still wants to be with him. At that point yeah. in this film, I completely checked out and I was not, I couldn't be on board anymore. And I don't know if that's critical flaw within the actual story or if it was the way that it was depicted here and these performances. I didn't care about their relationship. I didn't think yeah. they had chemistry. <laughs> and I think then, it's both, Helen. It's both. Yeah. And there's okay. a, that's another criticism of this film is these characters are stereotypical in a Mm. lot of ways. They still are in this new one. I don't think that they were actually given much more depth at all. I mean... I mean, Edison and I were sitting next to each other and we both went, okay, no. Like it... That moment was not sold. And from there on out, I just threw my hands up. I didn't want to watch the rest of it. I think it's all of that. Like in general, the romance, I just didn't buy, right? Mm-hmm, yes, it's because mm-hmm. of the leads, I think. And we will get into that when we talk mm-hmm. about performances. I think it's also because of the pacing of the romance, right? This mm-hmm. is very much a love at first sight story. Right. And that initial meeting under the bleachers at the dance, I did fully buy into that, right? Probably because it was just mm-hmm. so fucking gorgeous, like mouth mm-hmm. agape, beautifully shot. So warm and lush. Like it really made me feel like I was in love with everybody there too. <laughs> but... You're right. Like, as the film progresses, these are just Disney characters. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. the romance was so shallow and hurried. And so, yeah, when shit hit the fan at that point, we were unable to buy into it. Yeah. Because Maria wasn't selling that decision either yeah. as an yeah. actress. But also, we just basically didn't see any internal conflict in Maria's character. It, there was nothing that that relationship earned any of that. So, mm. yeah, also I, I kind of see... tapped out at that point, too. <laughs> Yeah, we also see her relationship with Bernardo, her brother, established more so than the romance. And therefore, we are going to be more attached to that brother-sister relationship and we're Mm. going to want her to grieve her brother's death. You know, it just, I just couldn't. (laughs) And that was an interesting thing when I watched the original film Mm -hmm. is because in the original film, her relationship with Bernardo was barely explored at Mm, all. They might, there's 
there's no real relationship between them at all that seems like loving or sibling like okay. whatsoever and so you almost buy it more also natalie wood is just a better actress even though she was not the mm. right person to be cast in that role <laughs> she just brings a lot more kind of gravitas and emotion to that moment so you do buy it more though it's mm-hmm. still i think that's just a flaw in the story that if this film was going to get over it was going to need to just actually change that and just have a whole new thing right? yes mm-hmm. the second moment that really really was the nail in the coffin for me was Anita going to Valentina's shop and all of the jets almost raping her. From what I read in the original, it's done more as a dance. Like it's all choreo- everything is done as a dance in that in that first film. Even the violence, the fighting, it's all right. done through dance choreography. But it is still nonetheless an implied rape scene. Uh, I I was so not cool with that scene and it didn't fit for me. Like I just, the tone of this film and the tone that we are given through the trailers is that it is going to be this sort of like joyful, explosive, passionate love story. And it goes so dark and I couldn't get on board with the character's decisions by the end that I just really checked out. But this is the problem with West Side Story. That <laughs> right. This is what I'm saying is yeah. that they're trying to explore these different issues yet right. they're breaking into song and they're snapping mm. and every time you have a moment where you might get emotionally invested you're just snapped out of it like <laughs> actually snapped out of it. <laughs> like, okay, here's right. the thing. This might be a spicy take. Helen, maybe you agree with me. But I honestly don't know how people can take West Side Story seriously, but can't take the movie Cat seriously. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. They're, to me, they're actually both ridiculous. And mm. the worst part is, is Cats is at least fun and yeah. unique and memorable. <laughs> well, we're huge fans West of Cats Side here. Story, I mean, I'm going to forget about this West Side Story tomorrow. Am I going to forget Cats? No. I've already seen Cats twice in the theater. Am I ever going to watch this remake of West Side Story? No. You're right. That was a spicy take. And it's one that I'm going to have to fight you on because (laughs) I think that's completely outrageous. I think (laughs) that in general, musicals are going to be a bit ludicrous a lot Mm. of the time. But to me, I was like, it's an absolute no brainer that this film is nominated for production design, cinematography, editing, lighting. There's like so much of this film that is an absolute masterclass in filmmaking Mm -hmm. and movie making. It's so many people operating at the absolute peak of their craft Mm -hmm. that it's, cannot be compared to cats it can, I, will I think it can be this. in term in terms of rewatchability and also memorability yeah but like f- fuck me Sinclair yeah, cats so. is one of the most memorable films that any of us have ever seen <laughs> I think that's a good thing Helen which one are you gonna watch again the remake of West Side Story or cats I mean cats but like right like, this is what I'm saying <laughs> meow 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 <laughs> Yeah, but I do agree with what Edison's saying in that the achievement in filmmaking in this film is apparent, whereas the achievement in filmmaking in Cats is no. Is Buttholes and, and loveless hands. human hands. hands. Like, well, it's yeah. a better time, let me tell you. It's a better time, sure. <laughs> but for very different reasons. Let's get into performances. I mean, by far, for me, the stand-up performance is Ariana DeBoss. Like, she is... I think phenomenal in this film. She's the definition of a triple threat. We left the theater and I was like, but like how? Yeah. How is somebody that talented 
to be that extraordinary a dancer. Yeah. A great singer. And so almost impossibly charismatic on screen. She was a fucking force of nature. I love Kirsten Dunst. I have been rooting for her to win. I still want her to win just because I've loved her for, you know, Mm. almost 30 years as a performer. And like this role is great in Power of the Dog. But I don't know. Ariana DeBose as Anita, like this is a full stop superstar making role. Like it's incredible. Okay. Well, I definitely didn't feel that. And it's not that Hmm. she wasn't great in this. But honestly, she could have been any other actress for me. Any other actress who could sing, dance, and act would have been completely fine. I don't know what it was with the original film. I really, really did love Rita Moreno. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, but I'm still team Kirsten Dunst. I think it's a more interesting performance. I think it's a more interesting movie, and I just feel like West Side Story, this movie and and that performance is just kind of a boring choice for the Oscars it is I I think that boring is the literal opposite (laughs) adjective that I could possibly describe it's 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 good it's good I just think anyone else could have also done it honestly yeah I disagree that's a hot take yeah another Um, spicy take another spicy take over here at uh, always I She's an exceptional dancer and, a, and an exceptional singer and performer in general. But for me, what uh, drove it home was her acting ability. Mm-hmm. She had a an emotional life going on where I didn't really see that from anyone else in this film, to be honest. She felt like a real person going through these experiences. And the fact that she was able to deliver an emotional arc through song, too, was just that really elevated it for me. Yeah. I think in general, this film is made so much better by the supporting cast. I think it has yeah. a really, mm. really strong supporting cast. I thought that David Alvarez as Bernardo was yeah. so sexy and so great. And that character was definitely given more in this film than in the original film as well. Mm. And he he was like the hero of that community and, and also dangerous and struggling with his stuff. And I just thought he actually had depth and brought it to that. And Mike faced as yeah. Riff. I really liked him. Riff is the best one in this movie, I think. Yeah, Riff is awesome. <laughs> he was awesome. Mm-hmm. He was so much fun to watch. He had amazing body movements. His physicality was honestly incredible. And mm-hmm. I honestly felt like he had the most characterization, the strongest presence. Hmm. He was think, actually my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's fair. I thought he was fantastic yeah. too. He, him and Ariana DeBose for me were the, the highlights. So we were let down by the leads. Yes. (laughs) And I think both of them. I think that like Rachel Zegler, beautiful voice. She's beautiful, but she's Mm -hmm. just too starry-eyed. Like she's just this naive, childlike kind of performance that's so one note and has zero depth. And because of that, you just really don't buy the end. And especially the end end, you know, when she picks up the Mm -hmm. gun in that whole moment, she doesn't have the weight to carry that. Mm -hmm. So I felt let down by her performance. Yeah. What did you guys think of her? Well, isn't that the one character that really should have been amended the most to not be this like stereotypical character? I agree. Yeah. Isn't she the most important character to change if you're going to make any changes to West Side Story? Mm -hmm. 
and evens very specifically you know her nationality as well right like we talked about the casting it has definitely been improved in this film in the sense that all of the hispanic characters are actually being played by hispanic actors but yeah maria still not being played by a puerto rican right right rachel ziegler is polish colombian yeah Mm -hmm. and while that might not be something that you know white audiences notice I think there's lots of conversation about how this was such a missed opportunity to elevate mm. a Puerto Rican actress in what is a huge It was supposed to role. be the opportunity. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, it yeah. was the one major thing. <laughs> I know. Spielberg. I, this is a very specifically Puerto Rican yes. story. Yeah. It's not broadly about the Latinx experience right. in America. It's about the Puerto Rican experience in one specific neighborhood in New York. Mm-hmm. And because Maria is the main character, and because she was played by a white movie star in the original film, that's why it was very yeah. much like, no, it really needed to be a Puerto Rican actress for this. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and to talk about Ansel Elgort, he has had sexual assault allegations against him, and there definitely was a call on social media for Spielberg to recast this part and to reshoot some of the scenes that he had done because I believe at the point that the allegations came out they hadn't completed filming and that didn't happen and I mean to my surprise I haven't seen much about this in the media at this point Mm -hmm. but I think about it and Mm -hmm. I can't watch him in this without thinking about that and that completely tainted my watching of his performance in this film. Oh, I just also think it could have been anybody else. <laughs> yeah. I, you know? I completely agree with you, Sinclair. Like, I didn't even really know about that, to your point of mm-hmm. it not being in the media, right? Until after mm-hmm. when we were talking about it after, Helen, and you brought right. that up. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, I think I had heard something. But, mm-hmm. like, you didn't need to have his performance be tainted mm-hmm. to not enjoy it in this. Mm-hmm. He well, was so dull and wooden. Uh, he yeah. does have a beautiful voice. I will say that. I was surprised by his singing voice, yes. Well, the dance-off scene with, that he has with Riff, the play mm. a cool boy, mm-hmm. you really yeah. see the difference in ability mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. those two oh, are God, next yeah. to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, those two aren't on the same level at, at all. No. Well, Riff is a musical theater actor. Like, yeah, you can, you can see yeah. the, the yeah. training and the, yeah. like, the talent for sure. Yeah. yeah, and Ansel is pretty. And right. he's got Brando lips and a nice voice, but like... Just no charisma, no mm. depth to that performance. That, think about how much more captivating that could have been. Both of those central roles, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. just should have been better. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Um, but Rita Moreno, Sinclair, you know, yeah, she, yeah. she was back in this as a really cool kind of callback. You know, yeah. we're going to be talking in the mm-hmm. Scream episode about requels and how, you know, one of the things <laughs> is you have to bring back established characters from yeah, the original. And that's character. what's happened yeah. here, too. Yeah. Yeah. And she looks incredible. Mm-hmm. She's 90. That's yeah. ridiculous. I know. She looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love that she sang the Somewhere song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, we can't finish performances without talking about um, Iris Minas, who was cast as the anybody's role, mm-hmm. which yeah. they updated that role to be a trans role and portrayed by a trans actor. Interestingly, while we were watching it, I wasn't crazy about the character because it felt like a token character to me. And I assumed that it was written into this updated version and wasn't in the original. But then when I found out that it actually was in the original, I did have a change of heart about that character. Yeah. Because in the original script, Anybody's was a tomboy. 
mm-hmm. and they updated anybody's to be a trans character for this version and got the approval of Arthur Lorenz, who wrote the book. And they've said, like, that would have been a trans character. Exactly. But, you know, society wasn't progressive enough. Um, so yeah. I did have a change of heart about that character because I, I felt prickly about it in watching it because it felt token to me, but that I, I did warm up when I realized the history. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I thought that was interesting. Like, we talked about that a little too after we saw it. Yeah. And I, I was like, I'm happy to see that representation kind of right. regardless, even if right. it did feel a a bit tokeny. I still mm-hmm. also hadn't seen the first film. So yeah, totally yeah. to discover that there. That actually was a part of watching the first film that kind of surprised me and that it was mm. kind of progressive in that way. Mm. If, mm-hmm. if you could say that. So, yeah. Mm. Okay, so I feel like we kind of covered technical as mm-hmm. we oohed and odd over the cinematography and the costumes and all that throughout mm-hmm. this conversation. So why don't we just jump right into the last word? What is the last word on West Side Story? Helen. This movie is worth watching for the Ariana DeBose performance personally, and I really enjoyed the musical numbers and the choreography. However, the story left me uh, wanting something different. Mm-hmm. Sinclair? Yeah, last word for me. This is a well-executed Steven Spielberg movie. Hmm. It's exactly what you think it's going to be, unless you're Edison and you have no idea what the actual story <laughs> is. That it's pretty devastating, apparently. <laughs> but yeah this is definitely a take your grandparents out for brunch kind of movie I probably won't think about it again (laughs) Mm -hmm. so last word for me I really loved this movie even though the last third like shook me just because I yeah was not (laughs) expecting it to go that way and I was like what Um, (laughs) I thought that Yes, there were a couple of things like that central romance was an issue and the things that we talked about before were issues. But I think from a movie making perspective, there was Mm. just so much to love here Mm. that I definitely will revisit this. And I thought it was like a real standout of the year in a lot of ways, mostly technical, all technical. But yeah, and the music's beautiful. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. This episode, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme, and that theme is music to my ears. This is our week in entertainment. (laughs) Helen, you're up. Okay. So, this week I decided to watch The Piano from 1993. Directed by Jane Campion. We have been talking a lot about Jane Campion recently. Mm. Sinclair Mm -hmm. uh, covered her first film last episode, Mm -hmm. Sweetie. And we also obviously covered her in our Power of the Dog episode. And she's the front runner, right? For Best Director. So in all of that, I realized I had to watch the piano and it fit perfectly into this theme. Mm -hmm. So here we go. The piano is set in the mid-19th century and stars Holly Hunter as Ada, a woman who has been mute since the age of six and considers her beloved piano to be her voice. Her father marries her off to a man in New Zealand, so Ada and her daughter Flora, played by Anna Paquin, travel by boat to their new home. New Zealand is muddy and wet, and the dense forest makes it nearly impossible to transport the piano so it is left on the beach. 
This will simply not do for Ada, who convinces her husband's friend George, played by Harvey Keitel, to take her and Flora back to the beach to retrieve her voice. George witnesses Ada play and is smitten. He keeps the piano for himself, claiming he wants Ada to teach him, but in reality, all he wants is Ada. What ensues is a passionate, violent, and gripping love story and a revolutionary depiction of female desire. Have you both seen this? Yes. I have never seen this. Okay, Edison, you have to watch it before the Oscars. Okay. I had no idea what this movie was about. I was familiar with it mainly due to its success at the Oscars, but other than that, all I really knew was that there was a piano on a bleak-looking beach in the olden days. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Anna Paquin. And Anna Paquin, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of the most unique love stories I have ever seen. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is something. Once I finished it, I felt like this. Okay, this feels like a dark fairy tale. What was the source material for this? And it is an original screenplay. In fact, Jane Campion won uh, the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for this film. But it did take inspiration from the French folktale Bluebeard. And is, it's assumed that it was also inspired by the novel The Story of a New Zealand River by Jane Mander. The female gaze of this movie is, I think, what makes it so wonderful. Mm. And seeing Ada navigate her sexuality in this film, especially without speaking, is just incredibly fascinating. Holly Hunter 100% earned her Best Actress Oscar for this role. She's unbelievable. She is so good in this movie. And you guys know how much I hate it when actors don't play the piano and they're supposed to play the piano. And she's playing the piano in this movie. Yes. And it's not like beginner piano. Like she's playing like incredibly advanced piano pieces in this film. And she's so good. I was watching it and I I actually had to stop halfway through and go play the piano. Like that's how much. (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, she's incredible in it. And then, on top of that, you cannot take your eyes off of Anna Paquin in every scene that she's in. Mm-hmm. She's nine years old in this film. It's her first film. And she is so authentic as this young girl whose life has been turned upside down. And, you know, there's this role reversal when it comes to the parent-child relationship because her mother doesn't speak and she communicates on behalf of her mom. So she is this go-between with her mother and these men and the new people in her in their lives. And she, yeah, she made history as the second youngest Oscar winner, uh, winning Best Supporting Actress for this. Yeah, and then, you know, on top of the performances, there is the background of New Zealand. And there are a lot of indigenous actors and characters in this film. And they speak their la- native language and Harvey Keitel's character has ingratiated himself in their culture and has like the face tattoos that they have. And you can just tell that that was a story that Jane Campion really wanted to tell. So she became the first woman to ever win the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Mm. As I said, she won Best Original Screenplay. This film received eight Oscar nominations. And of all eight nominees, only one of them was male. The other seven were female. Wow. Yeah. So it's just wow, like, I, that's I, fucking incredible. Yeah, I finished this movie and I was like, "How the fuck have I never watched this movie before?" And I couldn't believe what a champion for female storytelling it was. Like, I don't know, it blew me away. And I want to just end with this quote from New Zealand film critic Maria Lewis. 
She says, Jane Campion has always centered the female narrative. Not the female narrative as Hollywood knows it, but the kind that's familiar to in New Zealand and even an Asian Pacific audience. Women who are unusual, women who are complicated and talented, women who are weird, women who have overcome, women who march to the beat of their own drum or piano, if you will. Mm-hmm. All right, Edison, you're, you're up. Okay, so my film this week is something a little bit different. Mm. It's actually a documentary from mm. 2018 entitled Amazing Grace. And it's documenting the 1972 recording of Aretha Franklin's first gospel album, Amazing Grace. Oh, wow. Cool. So at this point in her career, in 1972, she was already a colossal cultural icon. She had released 20 albums, won five Grammy Awards, sung at the funeral of Martin Luther King Jr. She had a huge string of hit singles from like... Baby, baby, sweet baby, to Natural Woman, to Bridge Over Troubled Water, I Say a Little Prayer for You, and of course, Respect. But she grew up in the church, right? Aretha mm. was the daughter of a Baptist preacher. Gospel was in her blood, and she always cited gospel singers as her major influences, something that was totally evident in the way that she sang. But she had never recorded a gospel album. So in January of 1972, she went to Los Angeles to the Missionary Baptist Church to do just that. And it was going to be a live recording. So with a full congregation of churchgoers present, Mm. she had Reverend James Cleveland, who was like the biggest name in American gospel at the time, um, joining her along with the Southern California Community Choir. And her record label, Warner Music, had hired Sidney Pollack to document the recordings for a special. And this documentary, because of technical issues or because Aretha didn't want it to, as rumors may say, never ever saw the light of day until 46 Hmm. years later in 2018. Hmm. And this is an uh, incredible display of artistry and talent, almost embarrassing, Hmm. like (laughs) in its just sheer magnitude. Aretha was... I mean, she is literally a national treasure, right, in Mm. America. And it's no wonder to see why. Watching this, it's so visceral. Her voice just soars. And I love seeing how focused she is. Because this is a live recording of her album. This is going to be turned into vinyl. There's no second take you know when people record an album they re-record the line a hundred times to make it sound perfect this is just aretha singing so there's one time where she stops the song she starts she gets one phrase in stops it and restarts it otherwise this is is what it is and somehow in that with all of her focus she's still incredibly present improvisational and just like soulful Mm -hmm. she was incredible and seeing everybody else come around to like the choir and the way that they go back and forth and her relationship with James Cleveland, right? He sings a couple of songs and preaches kind of in between. It's one of the most authentic musical things I've witnessed. The audience has like, is full of all kinds of interesting people, crazy seventies, like styles, so much cool hair and outfits. The Rolling Stones are there. Famous gospel singer, Clara Ward is there. And yeah, it's on Netflix. It's called Amazing Grace. I watched it. I saw it before and I've seen it twice prior. And then I watched it again on Sunday 
And it's just, there's nothing better you could do for yourself than watch mm. that on like a Sunday afternoon. There's one song in particular, one performance called Never Grow Old. And that to me is the showstopper. It's like almost impossible to comprehend. It's so good. Mm. So yeah, mm. really watch this. Did you have any desire to watch Respect? Yeah, are you gonna watch Respect? <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd just rather watch the real thing. Mm, fair. Yeah. yeah. With respect to the queen. <laughs> yeah. Auntie Ray. <Reed. laughs> yeah. What did you pick, Sinclair? <laughs> okay, I watched Immortal Beloved. From 1994, oh, directed okay. by Bernard Rose, and it stars Gary Oldman as Ludwig von Beethoven. Ah, so I've been on a bit of a Beethoven kick lately. <laughs> That's so random. <laughs> you know. So over this last lockdown, I was bored, and I decided that I was going to listen to Beethoven's symphonies one through nine, and it's a bit of a feat because they're almost an hour each. So it took me a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was actually a process. It was like a symphony here or there over the course of like three weeks. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to watch a movie about Beethoven. And there actually aren't a lot of movies about Beethoven. So I was like, okay, well, Immortal Beloved it is. So Immortal Beloved starts with the death of Beethoven and his friend slash assistant is going through his belongings and he finds this old letter that Beethoven had wrote and it's a letter to his like quote immortal beloved Mm. and Mm -hmm. nobody knows who that person is so his assistant starts trying to find this woman (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's Bach so (laughs) basically his assistant starts trying to find out who this woman was and the way this movie paints Beethoven is he was a bit of a womanizer I guess he had a lot of ladies Hmm. in his life I laughed because it almost felt like this was like high fidelity in a way where like John Cusack is going back to all his past relationships that's hilarious like this was very like Beethoven's (laughs) high fidelity <laughs> like that was that's essentially like the plot of this movie. But during a lot of the scenes in this movie, we see Beethoven and his life struggles, him becoming deaf and having a lot of people become enemies and he also becomes very isolated. He's like very misanthropic and it it is supposed to be like the portrait of a tortured artist and his relationships with these different women. I definitely could have done without any sort of romantic element in Mm. this. That is not what I was interested in Mm -hmm. at all. And unfortunately, that's what this movie is. Mm. I wanted a completely different movie. I knew that Immortal Beloved was going to have romance in it, but... It is in the title. It is in the the title, (laughs) but that's definitely not what I would want to deep dive into Mm -hmm. but you know this is the 90s and and the 90s just love to put a romantic spin on every Mm. story and and Hollywoodize it up so I I was interested in what was actually fact and what was fiction in this 
And I was looking it up and it turns out that they did find an immortal beloved letter. Mm -hmm. Um, It looked like it had been written in 1812 and he had died in 1827. But nobody to this day really knows who it was for sure. Mm. Where in this film. That's so cool. Well, in this film, it actually has a resolution. Okay. They find out who it is. There's a lot of like soap opera drama to it and it's all speculative. Mm. So for me, I'm watching it and I was like, well, you know, if it's not true, then what's the point? It's just right. this is yeah, somebody's yeah. legacy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So basically they find out at the end of the film who this supposedly is. And Beethoven has been very unkind to this person. And at the end, she listens to his ninth symphony and feels Mm. compelled to forgive him you know she says it's because once she heard this this music she just felt like she needed to forgive this man (laughs) so it was actually music to her ears (laughs) apparently all is forgiven (laughs) well and also wasn't beethoven deaf and he had to put his ear to the piano to feel the vibrations that happens in in the film there's some good, actual good moments mm-hmm. of him lo- losing his hearing in this, being up on stage and not being right. able to hear anything. He does have a moment where he's trying to feel the vibrations in the piano. Yeah. But I just feel like I wanted more focus on that right. aspect of yes. it. But, you know, this is very 90s romance ridiculousness. Yeah. But... <laughs> I really like Gary Oldman as Beethoven. It's, it's interesting because he really can do everything. Like he played Beethoven and Sid Vicious. Like I couldn't <laughs> yeah. believe. He's yeah, a chameleon. Yeah. yeah. So that was really cool. But yeah, did I love this? No, I didn't love it. It's it's a fun watch, but it's mm-hmm. not the Beethoven movie that I wanted. So maybe that will come along someday or maybe I'll I'll find something else maybe there's something out there that i i don't know about that i might enjoy watching about this man all right guys there's only one way to end this talk movie to me episode of west side story and that is by playing a fun little game called rumble dance shank This is, of course, a variation of a game that we have enjoyed playing, Mary Fuck Kill. But this is the West Side Story edition. Hmm. Rumble, Dance, Shank. We're each going to give each other three characters from a movie uh, musical. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide, do you want to rumble, do you want to dance, or do you want to shank this person? All right. All righty. <laughs> Who's up? Uh, Edison, why don't you go first? You have some for me. I do. Okay. Here are your selections, Miss Sinclair. You've got Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Hudson in Cats. Oh, boy. <laughs> and John Travolta in Hairspray. Rumble, I, Dance, Shang. I couldn't get John Travolta in Grease. You no, had to give me hairspray. Volta hairspray. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to dance with Jack Skellington. Duh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I think, I'm going to rumble with Jennifer Hudson and cats because, I mean, cat mm. fight for one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Also, yeah, that Watch would be kind of Watch out for that snotty nose. Yeah. <laughs> 
and I guess I'm gonna kill poor John in Aww. in hairspray. Shank, yeah. Like shank yeah, I'm gonna shank him. <laughs> okay, here we go. Helen, yes. Rumble, dance, shank. Yes. Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, I knew. And dear coming. Evan Hansen. Okay. <laughs> Your favorite. Ugh. Okay, Susan from Tick Tick Boom. Now this is the girlfriend. Mm, this is Jonathan's yes. girlfriend, and she is going to be constantly telling you that you have to decide <laughs> between your career or and her job that she's about True. to take. True. Yep. Okay. Third one is Justin from Justin to Kelly. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> ah. Okay. I can do this. I'm gonna dance with Susan, and I'll tell you why. Susan can dance, mm-hmm. which means Susan can teach me how to dance. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be a good dancer. Yeah. So I don't care if she wants to bitch about her job. That's fine as long as she teaches me how to dance. I'm going to rumble. I'm going to rumble with Justin from Justin and Kelly. You could take him. Yeah, I think that we could maybe have a sing off. I mean, he'd probably win, but. It could um, be a sing off. Yeah. Okay. We could have a sing off. Um, and then I'm absolutely shanking Evan Hansen. I hate that mm-hmm. character with a passion. With <laughs> I support, a passion. I just and you, you're refusing to watch the movie, right? You're just not going to watch it. So I, I saw Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway and I hated it. Yeah. And yeah, I have zero desire to watch it. And movie. Edison, you've seen the play, but you haven't seen the movie, right? Uh, correct. I will also not be watching the movie. <laughs> I'm so glad we hate it for the same reason because I was hard pressed to find anybody. I know people really love it. I was hard pressed to find anybody that that felt the same way that I did, and I thought maybe I was crazy. But when you or, felt the same way, you know I felt maybe so you justified. just have a spicy take, Helen. Yes. Sometimes you have a spicy. Maybe take. I just have a spicy take. You're right. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> here we go. So. Edison, these are your choices. Dame Judi Dench as old Deuteronomy <laughs> in Cats with her human hands and her wedding See, guys, ring. it all comes back to cats. This is what I'm talking yeah. about. Okay? <laughs> Johnny Depp as the wolf in Into the Woods. Oh. That creepy, predatory wolf. Mm-hmm. And Russell Crowe as Javert in Les Mis. <laughs> horrible, oh. horrible singing voice. Wow. Oh. wow. I'm just really miscast. Um, you gave me some really great choices there, Helen. Um, <laughs> I would be, let's say it, I'll be delighted to dance with the dame mm. and her paw hand. <laughs> um, I will rumble. I think I'm, it's the safest bet to rumble with Russell Crowe yeah. rather than an evil forest wolf. Mm. So I guess I'm going to have to shank Johnny Depp as this wolf. Yes. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, and actually, if you shank him, then you can get the grandma and riding hood out of his belly. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, then that's a win-win. It's a win-win. Okay. Well, that was a very colorful game of uh, yeah. rumble dance shank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I liked it. All right, well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie To Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet us at TMTM Podcast. Uh, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to become a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. 
And I'm Edison. I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel witty and pretty and gay. Ha! <laughs> <laughs>